This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to have some great guests today, and they are involved with the Compassionate Friends. And this show is brought to you by, in partnership with the Compassionate Friends, and that they're the largest grief and loss organization in the world, right, Heidi? Absolutely, and I don't think a lot of people realize that that there are almost a million members of the Compassionate Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they are an organization devoted to helping people that have had siblings die, children die, and grandchildren die, and to help all of us to find hope after loss. Mm-hmm. And there are over 700 chapters in the United States, so really look for one in your neighborhood. And hey, if you're 18 months out, you can open one yourself, right, Heidi? Absolutely. Yeah, just get a hold of them at um, thecompassionatefriends.org. So we have some great people on, Ann and Jeff Costaldo. Hi, Ann and Jeff. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. Yes. It's great to have you on today. We're all in the studio today, which is a special treat because oftentimes we're uh, on uh, different coasts. But Heidi, why don't you tell us more, our audience, more about uh, Ann and Jeff? Well, Ann and Jeff are very good friends of mine, so I'm thrilled to have them here. And what do I want to say about Ann and Jeff? Um, they are both involved in Compassionate Friends. Ann is going to be is the uh, chair for the... Uh, what do I want? The conference chair for the Compassionate Friends this year, and we're going to have it in Phoenix, Arizona. What is the date of that, Anne? Scottsdale, July 8th through 10th. Mm-hmm. Scottsdale, Arizona, July 8th through 10th. And they came to this organization, and we met because, unfortunately, their son, Tony, died at 24 years old of a medical error. And they have since gone on to start the Tony Brown Foundation, and they help many people every year to help, you know, find hope after loss through their foundation. Mm-hmm. And how do you been up and uh, done some things with the foundation, right? I have, and, you know, organizes a lot of incredible events. She just had Mitch Carmody there over the weekend doing a day with Mitch, and I went up there after uh, the Newtown tragedy to help the community and to reach out and support people that had been impacted because, you know, even if you haven't been in a major event, you know, like 9-11 or the Newtown shootings, if you are in that community or near that community, it really impacts you. People have secondary trauma, and it's it's very scary to be, you know, in close proximity of any kind of event like that. Yeah. Well, let's get back to that after the what happened to them and how they see grief and loss globally. But before that, let's talk a little bit about Tony. And why don't you tell us a little bit about who Tony was? Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, it's interesting because last night I actually watched... Uh, Tony's memorial service for the first time in years. We were showing it to our friend Mitch, and um, it just kind of really resonated again. It was an easier thing to watch, and it was so... Tony was stubborn, came up an awful lot. He was a determined, determined child, kind, good-hearted, sarcastic, um, and loved extreme sports. You know, had no fear, felt no pain. Uh, great kid, had a very good future ahead of him, was looking forward to getting married, having kids, and go on to film extreme sports. And that mm. was his passion. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And now he had a a, a blood disease, too, he right? Did. yes. Just ironically, I mean, a very rare disease. Yeah, it was, it's called TTP. And um, he came down with that out of nowhere. He was a very healthy boy. 
Um, and it was in January of 2009. They had found him unconscious in his dorm room. And he almost died then. He was in a coma, and he suffered short-term memory loss after he came out of it. He was out of school for two and a half months, and, uh, you know, they thought he was okay. You know, it was kind of disease where you can live with it. Uh, you just had to, he had to take a lot of precautions. And then he came down with um, a very bad episode, but they were sending him home and told him how he'd have to live his life and carry an EpiPen with antibiotics in mm-hmm. it pretty much. And... Um, he unfortunately, um, you know, things went wrong when he was going home, and he never did make it out. Wow. Yeah. And Jeff, I was talking to you, and I'm so sorry about that. He is a lovely boy when we see pictures yeah, of him. Thanks. And Jeff, uh, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about the fact that you're a stepdad. Yes. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think people are a little callous with stepdads. You know, oh, you're the stepdad. Yeah, I think I think stepparents uh, many oftentimes get a, a bum rap, let's say. Um, I know, you know, it's a very, it's a tough position. I knew Tony when he was six and seven years old Mm -hmm. and he grew up with me. He didn't know his, his biological dad very well. And, uh, uh, but a lot of people, uh, you you hear that, you know, uh, step parents, well, you're the step parent. You don't Mm -hmm. have, how's your wife doing? Yeah. How's your wife? It's always, you know, how's your wife? And, and, you know, my, my grief is very different than my wife's grief. Mm -hmm. Um, but, when you have a child who's six and seven years old and you go through preteen and teen and college and all, mm-hmm. there's no, we never, in our house, I am the stepdad. I was the stepdad, but um, uh, I don't think the boys ever thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think Tony ever, no. he didn't even think, it. it wasn't even a thought. All right. So there were three boys in the family, and Tony, Tony was the yeah. youngest. Yes. Yeah. Heidi, that reminds me of, you know, you uh, having an adopted child, too. Well, absolutely. And Jeff adopted Tony. And, you know, I always say our kids come to us in many ways. We don't have to be biologically connected to be their parent. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Jeff is a perfect example of that because he was Tony's dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, yeah, we people tend to minimize and think, okay, you need to be related by blood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my husband's not related by blood, and I still love him a lot. So, I mean, you know, like I said, my daughter, I love my daughter as much as my son, and, and she's not biologically connected to me. She's not related mm-hmm. to me that way. So I, I think we need to be sensitive to people about mm-hmm. their relationships. As you you were saying, yeah. Jeff, he didn't have a relationship with his own dad. So, you know, I mean, like it's, you know, we just get confused. I mean, it really is how has it been for you having this loss is the question, having this loss of your stepson, you know? Um, it, you know, it's it's devastating. It's, um, um, I, I don't think there would have been any difference if I was his biological dad or not. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this person that you know every molecule about and, uh, and, they, and they go for whatever reason, they're not with us anymore. And... Uh, and, and as you said before, the the community, even even friends and relatives, the step parent stigma does uh, does come through. Um, not always up front, but I know it's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, but because in our tight knit family, that wasn't an issue. I just. Mm-hmm. It was out of my thoughts. I didn't. Think and you made that it. comment. Well, I I didn't grieve like Anna. And I think that that gets into that male female thing, right? Oh, it's she. I didn't understand her grief fully, and she didn't understand mine. And there was a time where I truly, and I felt horrible about this. And it took a writing. I was journaling, and I wrote, and I realized I had like this grief stepladder, 
And unfortunately, because Steph, Jeff was a stepdad, it was mine and my children were first. I di- and I didn't realize, and, and then it came whoever I thought needed to grieve a certain way was next, whether it was my parents or, or Jeff, but it was me and my children were up there on the mm-hmm. top. And when I suddenly put that realization together, I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing such an injustice Mm-hmm. to Jeff because Tony did look at him as a dad. You know, their dad had died from cancer a while back, and um, he was their dad. So it took a lot of inward looking to realize that he suffered this loss with me. Yeah. And, and how long did it take? Do you remember when you realized that? It was about two, three years out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I realized it two years out, but before I could truly act on it, it took about three years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting uh, because, you know, there's this rumor out there that we're all going to get divorced, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, there are high divorce rates and what, 50 percent anyway. But, gosh, I found out with our family, I think it's made us closer uh, as time goes on because we've all lost. We all understand the loss. Right. Right. Well, I think that after you've had the death of a child, which we all have of someone before their time, you really, you really appreciate other people because you're just like, wow. I mean, people can can die, hmm. and I don't take my relationships for granted anymore. You know, I don't take my sibling relationships and my parent, my relationship with my parents, and my relationship with now my own children for granted. Every day, I'm just thankful to have them in my lives. Right. I mean, here Tony was; he was larger than life, and I think it's very ironic the way he died because he was an extreme sports guy in the prime of his life, yes. doing all these flips and all these things and all these skiing and. And he was fine, and then he goes and has some crazy medical yes. error, and that's how he dies. You just would never, ever right. have expected that all of a sudden he was going to be gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it did. It took a toll on both of us. And to this day, I see Jeff cry. He actually cries more than I do. He will well up watching movies or talking about Tony quicker than I do, mm-hmm. which really touches my heart because I know that love with a step-parent even goes so deep, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, you folks lived around Sandy Hook, what, the next town yes. over? Yeah. And we were talking about it a little bit because Heidi has worked with the 9-11 families for many years with the Columbia University study, the firefighter families. And, and I just wondered, uh, what were some of your observations? Because how long had it been since Tony died? Uh, three years. Okay. So it was three years. Uh, it'll be three years in December. And so it was about three and a half years after Tony died. Um it was interesting. I was working in a, a bakery department of a grocery store at the time, and you started to see people come in with those blank stares on their faces. And having gone through it, I was able to recognize that stare, and they'd be looking around trying to find something. And I told my manager, I said, we need to do something. I said, because these people are going to be coming into our stores. They're like, we can't talk to them. Don't don't bring it up. Don't mention it. That's John's dad. He came in every day. We can't. I'm like, yes, we have to. You have to talk to these people. So I felt like I was in a good place because I was able to educate the whole mm-hmm. store mm-hmm. on That's how amazing. how to help these people. You know, don't shy away from them. Don't run away to the back when they come in. Talk to them. Mention their child's name. And uh, that was a blessing that I felt I was able to give back. Mm-hmm. But the community itself, it was interesting because it was such a national event. Mm-hmm. It was kind of they were isolated. They didn't want to go out in public. They didn't want any help at the time. And I totally understand that. They were leery. They were concerned. Um, 
But the community as a whole, you started to see, you know, some bereaved people were a little bit angry because what about my child? You have, you know, we had people who were coming to Compassion Friends meetings the same month who had just lost a child. Yeah. And one one gentleman buried his daughter on the day of Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it just was overshadowed his whole daughter's event because mm-hmm. the whole world was grieving for these, rightfully so, for these whole all these children. And here he was burying his daughter. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was kind of, you know, being so close to it, a lot of people felt that it overshadowed their own grief. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of a lot of people. It stirred up a lot of emotions. I was going to say, yes. how about your own emotions? It stirred up and so seeing those, much. Seeing those faces. I yes. mean, I mean, it's so much more than words. Exactly. And supermarket. Is there anything worse than yes. going grocery shopping? Exactly. Tony, what's your thought about it? Jeff? Um, I mean, Jeff, I'm sorry. I love that you got your Tony. I do, too. <laughs> I, I get that a lot. I do, too. It's an honor. Hey, so Tony, we're thinking about you. <laughs> Maybe he's here with us. Yeah, I think he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, Monroe and Newtown are very tightly knit. You know, we're next to each other. Um, most of the people that I, or a large number of people that I grew up and went to school with, live in Newtown. Um, Newtown is broken off into a seg- Sandy Hook is like a a sub part of their village that's literally um, three miles from our house. And uh, so there was a, you know, firemen and, and policemen and, and just regular old families. There's everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew somebody, a parent or a grandparent or uh, a first responder in the, in, in the case of that, because there were, when that, uh, when that occurred, Monroe, uh, rest, fire rescue and police and all were, they were there, you know, immediately. And uh, and just so happens we had a empty middle school, which I happened to go to eighth grade in, and we had built a new school, and this school had sat dormant for a couple of years, and uh, they, you know, the 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 option of using Sandy Hook School again was gone. That that can't be, mm-hmm. and uh, so they they uh, took care of that separately, and so they, and it was really wonderful the way it went through Monroe. Um, Monroe and Newtown came together and they opened up the school and re-energized it and got it ready mm-hmm. to accept students. But what they did was they went into Sandy Hook School and every room that they could, the kids' cubbies where their shoes are kept or their coats or their lunch boxes, every one of those rooms was transferred over to the Monroe oh, building. Oh my gosh. The numbers, the numbers on the doors, oh. the colors of the rooms. Oh, so when wow. these little kids walked in, I've never heard this. The, the transition was as best it, that it could be. We, you know, we took the other name. It was it was Chalk Hill Middle School uh, from Monroe's use, but it became a Sandy Hook School. That's wow. incredible. And and I really have to commend the uh, the Newtown Monroe and State Police because yeah. they really protected the parents and the families of those kids mm-hmm. uh, because the media, the inundation of the media. When Sandy Hook happened, was oh, like hiding in the bushes. Every five yes. minutes, you know, a satellite truck from New York or wherever yeah. would be coming by our house. And the center of Sandy Hook, which is literally an Idra, it's this little tiny place, was inundated with media. Well, and it's like the whole community was traumatized. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, and re traumatized. Right. And, and the amount of traffic, even when I was there, was oh, gridlock. Yeah. I remember the night it happened, poor Jeff sitting next to me, and I'm like, we have to go help. Like, I just, I wanted to put on my clothes and go do something. Yeah, everyone did. All over the United States. What can we do? And, you know, then you're sitting there and I'm like, what am I going to do? Bringing a stuffed animal may make me feel better. 
Right. But in the reality, you know, my I think my efforts were better in the background helping people understand how to help I love your saying community. that. Jeff, I wondered, yeah. did you have any direct contact with anybody? Were you able to help any males directly? Uh, no, not really. Um, we had it. We were uh, coincidentally, we were having our toys for tots drive at the time. Okay. And yes. uh, a very close friend of mine that uh, I grew up with, his son-in-law is uh, uh, a fire lieutenant, I believe, in San Diego Fire Department, which is literally across uh-huh. the street from the school. And they had so many teddy bears sent to the town from everywhere. I heard that. That uh, they did. They, they finally couldn't put them anymore. anymore. The uh-huh. post office was storing them and other people. And we ended up with hundreds of teddy bears for our Toys for Tots. Wow. Um, brought up by the fire department because they had, you know, you want somebody to benefit from right. them. Exactly. Right. So all the, all the people drove from all over to bring yeah. stuffed animals so that, you know, a child did get to use those animals after they, they did their memorials great. on the That's side great. of the road. So, you so know? I love it. You did impact in that background. I think the background is so important. It's not about you. It's about what they need. Heidi, I just wanted you, to, before we close the show, to talk about how you educated the, the people that were working with the firefighters families because uh, even your team that was going to go in and help the firefighters didn't understand a, a lot about grief and loss to families, right? Well, I think that they, they were worried about going in and they were scared about going into a grieving home, our, the clinical team, because they didn't know what they were going to find, and they waited. We did not start going into homes of firefighter families that had a death for six months mm-hmm. Because we were fearful that we were going to be part of the problem because there was so much media and so many people trying to get, you know, in touch with all these 9-11 victims. But the problem was they needed us from day one Mm -hmm. because they needed us to help them navigate all these people that were trying to get to them, all this media. They needed someone that they trusted. They needed someone that understood the grief process. And so, you know, in hindsight, my advice is if someone has a loss— and if someone, you know, has just had a loss, they often need people that understand grief and loss that have been there right at the beginning to help them navigate the waters. Because when it's a public event, there is so much media and so many people, and they're not always there for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to say before we close the show, I think one of the things that we're talking about right now is how we do grieve in community, but also being sensitive to what the needs of the community are. And you don't have to be right on the front lines yeah. to give and help. Right. You can be back there. You can be back there taking toys for tots. You know, you can be back there doing other things. You don't have to be, uh, again, on the front line. But also what it says to me in a, a, a is that service is so important, mm-hmm. right? And Tony, yes. I know oh, yeah. when you're ready to give service yeah. to other people. Yeah, we held an open open house resource, grief resource awareness day in February, mm-hmm. um, which Heidi had come to and uh, Alan Peterson. We had a whole bunch of people come in, Reiki, acupuncture. We had books just so the community could start to understand w- about grief, how to help those that are grieving, and that the Sandy Hook community could come anonymously and pick up what they needed and find the resources they needed. You know, we didn't need to be out there in the open waving our arms and going, we're going to be here to help you, but just putting it out there so that they knew they could find what they needed Quietly. at the time. Yeah, we assured them that they would be anonymous if they happened to be from Newtown or Sandy Hook. They were just another grieving parent. Right. We weren't going to, uh, you know, put a spotlight on yeah, them. Yeah, I, I mean, being to service is... Uh, it's just amazing to me. It's we do memorial healing. blood drives every year for Tony's birthday because he had yeah, a blood nice. disease. Um, 
Yeah. Any, anyway, we do, you know, the random acts of kindness and gratitude is something that has truly transformed my, my grief journey. Awesome. You know, so. So I wanted to say if, if what would be your advice if I had newly had a loss, both of you, what advice could you give to our listeners? Um, first to take, to, to, to try to take care of yourself. Um, you know, we find that, and people say it all the time when you're at the funeral service or the wake, um, the grieving family ends up comforting the people walking in. Mm-hmm. Um, they ask them how they're doing. And, and, you know, it's for people who haven't experienced it, they, they're at a loss. They don't know what to say. They sometimes just be, become silent because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to, showing up works. Huh? Yeah, you don't have to, you can't fix it. So just somebody there to listen mm-hmm. with that person may just be enough. Yeah. Your hand on their shoulder. Oh, I like that. That um, hand on the shoulder, particularly for guys. I think they need yes. a little touch and shoulder to shoulder grief, right, Heidi? Yeah. Yeah, we always say guys often grieve better shoulder to shoulder and women grieve well eye to eye. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, have hope, have faith, be patient and kind. Um it's the hardest thing, any type of loss, you know, that we have is our hardest loss that we're going through. And have that hope and try to just find something, something in your life that you can hold on to. And it will get gentler. It will get a little bit softer. But the biggest thing that helped me was a shift when I started to live my life with Tony. Um, I realized that I needed to start incorporating Tony into my life rather than mourning his loss. And once I did that, my life changed. Um, So, yeah, the more you can live with your child, even though they're no longer physically with us, I think you'll um, find that your journey is a little bit easier because they're always with us. Now, how do we uh, find the Tony Brown Foundation? Uh, Online, it's www.thetonybrownfoundation.org. All right. Well, Jeff, uh, thank you guys for being. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for all you guys do. You do so much. And you really are keeping Tony's memory alive. And he is doing as much in his death as he's doing in his life, as he did in his life to change the world through the work you guys are doing. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for listening to the show today. And Heidi and I always want to say to you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.